If you would, though, stand with me as God addresses all of us from his word. Our first reading is from John's Apocalypse, the Revelation 7, 9 through 17. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Our reading from the Psalms is Psalm 84, and this will be the text for this afternoon's meditation. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! Yes, my soul, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valleys of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day is better, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me say a brief prayer for our time in the word. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have sent your Son to reveal all things to us. Speak to us through your word. Let the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I think all of you know, but in case you don't, I am pastor number three 
I am uh, Matt Klein, one of the pastors here. Psalm 84, our Old Testament reading, provides to us an answer to the question, why are all people, why are all humans attracted to worship? I mean, attracted to beauty. Now, you don't need to get a degree in philosophy to know that beauty in itself is a worthwhile goal. It's something everyone just gravitates towards. This is why people take pictures of what they think is beautiful, not common. This is why people will book travel or hike long distances for natural beauty. Beauty products in the world are an $100 billion a year industry. And I don't need to tell anyone how young men change when they realize that, yes, in fact, girls are beautiful. Our pilgrim psalm provides an insight into this longing within each person. It's actually a road trip song. And I'm sure you have your own. I won't ask you what it is because you might be embarrassed. But this is a good one. And it's for Jewish pilgrims making their way to the temple at Jerusalem. And it captures for us a longing for God's presence. So this psalm is not concerned with what we might say is beauty in general, but the beauty found at the temple, the beauty of worship. So as we come and set apart this place for our worship with prayer, I want to consider two things. One, what makes worship beautiful? How do we define beautiful worship? And two, how does the beauty of worship unite all Christians? So first, why everyone looks for beauty is no secret. Look again at verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. We can put it simply this way. People long for beauty because they were made by an artist. He is the ultimate source of beauty that people long for. This is the God of sunrises, the Grand Canyon, oceans, twinkling stars, Handel's Messiah, young love, 50th year wedding anniversaries, the music of Johnny Cash, all poetry and especially the Psalms. He is the God who saw all that he created and said, this is good. All people have a longing for beauty because they have a deep soul longing and need for God. This is what the pilgrim is longing for. He's not just looking for a peaceful place to retreat or rest, or that favorite spot in nature, or his Wisconsin summer cabin. He's not seeking the comfort of his childhood home where he can smell his mom's cooking. He isn't even looking for the grandeur of the temple, though it was, or the excitement of all the festivals that happened there. He's longing for the presence of Yahweh. He's longing for a place where he can have true communion with God. If the psalmist traveling to a temple longs most for the presence of God, and if God is the source of all beauty, then here's my argument. What makes worship at the temple beautiful? God. That's my three-step argument. If he longs for God's presence and God is the source of all beauty, God makes worship beautiful. So we can say, 
Worship that seeks God according to his word for his glory is beautiful. This is the emphasis of the psalm. The importance of the temple is not from the building. It comes from God's presence. Look at the repetition throughout the psalm. You can underline it as I read them of the pronoun you speaking about God throughout the psalm. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, for a day in your courts is better. And you can look at every use of the Lord's name throughout. The focus of the psalm is on God, because God makes worship at the temple beautiful. It's God's presence that makes it a blessing to be there. And so the question for each of us, wherever we go to church today, is God's presence enough for you? A.W. Tozer once remarked during the time of revivals, um, and it, which makes this quote even more interesting. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know any difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would have to stop and everyone would know the difference. So, Would you notice if God's presence was withdrawn from your worship? And how? Or can we become so preoccupied with the details of what we're doing in worship, we've lost sight of God, the one we've come to meet with? Would we be satisfied with worship without God's presence as long as it had the right traditions, the music was to our taste, whatever that is, It came with the right kinds of emotional experiences and the pastor was the kind of guy we enjoy listening to? Do we worry if we lead worship? Maybe if we don't dress it up enough, people won't enjoy it. They won't appreciate its beauty. The problem with all of these thoughts is that the loveliness and power of worship only comes from worship that seeks God according to his word for his glory alone. It's really foolish to think we can improve on worship for God. It would be like my child trying to improve a Michelangelo painting. Or the psalm describes God as the sun. It would like me being, I'm going to add light, I'm going to turn on a flashlight. It's foolish. In Psalm 50:12, God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. I think the same goes for worship and music. God would say, If I wanted to hear music, I wouldn't ask you to sing. If I'm in need of a sermon, I'm not downloading yours. God's presence here is what makes this special. That's why even the humblest and lowest place in the church is a greater honor than beyond all others. This is why the psalmist would rather be a sparrow nesting in the rafters of the temple than anything else. He would rather be there than seated in the places of the powerful. Because it's better to be God's doorman than the king of the world. This was actually the conviction of the early church that allowed them to worship God as easily hiding in catacombs as it was in the cathedrals that they built. And in case you're wondering, we love this building, but we are much closer to the catacombs than the cathedral. Because wherever they were gathered, God was there and it was worth whatever the risk it was to get there. Now, I want to speak for a second 
specifically to the members of Clearwater Presbyterian Church. Again, as I mentioned, we will all be honest for a moment. We worship in a basement. We pray for someone to help us with musical accompaniment every week. But when you pull into the parking lot here, I want you to remember where you're arriving. Especially in the winter, as you come down the stairs, remember this. I am coming into God's presence. And the Lord God is a dazzling sun, and he will shine on me today. And this place, no matter what it looks like, will become a place of immense beauty for you. God makes worship beautiful. And that beauty is what unifies us as Christians. You might think, I knew this pastor was young, but I didn't think he was this young that he thought worship would be a unifying topic for Christians across traditions. You probably can think of every worship war, petty argument over church decor, instrument choice, worship style. And yes, when it comes to the details of worship, we could very easily start arguments we would not end. And I would guess today, between all of us, the places we grew up, the places some of our guests worship today, would be very different from each other. But I want to make one statement about these arguments. I'm, I'm kind of pro these arguments. I think these arguments actually prove a kind of unity we have. I know, just go with me though. Often, you fight most with the people you are closest to. I'll tell you this, I have not argued with anyone's wife here other than my own. And that's not because of a lack of our relationship, but because of the closeness of it. I have spent um, in multiple states and countries sharing the gospel. So I've argued with non-believers about a lot of things. But I've only debated worship with Christians. Some of our arguments are no doubt bad-intentioned, but even the good ones and bad ones only exist because we together care about Christ and his praises. They stem from this acknowledgement that we are all pilgrims headed to the same place. Again, the psalmist isn't alone in his travel. He's traveling, as he says, with the faithful. He calls his fellow travelers those with hearts that are highways to God and walk uprightly. Again, there are probably many things I could have chosen to talk about for the sake of unity. Evangelism, helping the poor, social causes, missions, planting more churches in the area. But worship is more unifying than these things because it is your eternal vocation. This is what our reading from Revelation reminds us. For all eternity, you and all the saints from every tribe every language, will have one occupation. It will be worship before the throne of God and the Lamb. And they will sing with loud songs of worship. We will fall on our faces together before God with angels and martyrs. We will sing songs like this, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And in heaven it will rhyme. John sees this great multitude, and an elder asks him a rhetorical question. He must be a good teacher. He says, who are all these people? 
And John goes, I don't know. You tell me. Their robes are white because they have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Everyone forgiven by Jesus Christ has one job for all eternity. And it is the longing his people have now for his presence. In God's presence, one day we will all sing in the same choir. So the question is, too, do you long for this? Do you long for that day? I would be remiss if I didn't mention, if you don't have a church, please find one or join us. We need to prepare to join this choir. When we look at the imagery of Revelation, there's a word that comes to mind. In a book that's often very hard to understand, the product of its own kind of debates, we often don't step back and just think about what word would I use to describe the imagery here. You know what the word is? Beautiful. That's why John describes it with jewels and pearls and fires and seas of glass and rainbows. It's surrounded by exotic angels, crowds of saints crowned, dressed in white, crying out, holding palm branches. It's beautiful. It's all beautiful because God is there. And the worshipers are beautiful because they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Their Savior makes them beautiful. And heaven is beautiful because that is where the throne of God and the Lamb are. And there's something else. There's something theological I want to teach you today. It's called the beautific vision. Because the beauty of heaven will transform us. And like how all boys are transformed when they realize, as I mentioned, girls are beautiful. This change will be profound, but it will have a power beyond that we know today. And this is what the theologians call the beatific vision. When a person sees Jesus in his heavenly glory, when they see the throne of God, beholding that vision of God is when you reach perfect salvation. Seeing something beautiful is when you reach perfect salvation. The beauty of God and Christ in heaven is so perfect, they no longer need a sun or moon. There's so much light. It's so fulfilling, you will no longer hunger or thirst. It's so transforming, his presence will wipe away all your tears, and you will find his eternal blessing. So today, we come to a beautiful place, God's presence. We thank God as we celebrate and set apart this place for the worship of God. And we plan that in this place we will worship God and seek him according to his word for his glory alone. So that we, with our brothers and sisters, may behold his beauty now and forever. Amen.